Live across the greatest city known to man, from Altona to Abbotsford. From, from inside the Melbourne Club to outside and into the Bentley, it's Howie and the Moon Man. And of course me, Malcolm, the Prime Minister. The Winter Breakfast on Triple M. Pretty crisp this morning, Moon Doggy. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Uh, she won't be up yet, but it's uh, Mrs. Moody's birthday today. Oh. 6th of the 7th. And uh, she saw it dawn on my face. She saw the no present dawn on my face last oh. night. She goes, uh, oh, so come it's, on. So it's my birthday tomorrow. I said, yes. Were you yes, aware of this fact is. before she I made was, that announcement? I, a number of times. I've reminded myself this week. And uh, so I get off air at nine. There will be uh, <laughs> some scurrying. There'll be a make good. Vintage sellers just down the road. Yeah, <laughs> Although that would be buying for yourself. But she is a great <laughs> present buyer. She, that's right. I'll, I'll try. Here's a slab, Dahl. pain. <laughs> Enjoy the yeah. slab of 4X, Dahl. I'll help you with it. Um, but she's a great present buyer. So she, my birthday, you know, she would have been buying for weeks before wrapping. There'd be a mountain of presents. Right. So the on the birthday day, make good. I feel like a shamed man. A terrible man. Have you ever forgotten... Mrs. Howie's birthday? No, I haven't. I go to a great deal of effort, and, you know. <laughs> Listen to the voice. <laughs> yeah. Listen to the softness in the voice. Oh, I provide no, I haven't. rose petals and yeah. orchestras. and Yeah, I have a couple of times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, uh, a lot to get through today. Uh, interesting stories revolving around Jake King and Tyrone Vickers. Oh, the AFL. The, the top's blown off. Uh, extortion allegations against Ty Vickery. Ali Fayor finally walks. Uh, you know, a, another player uh, pays the price for the pressure of the game and clinical depression. I mean, yes. uh, it's been a common factor in 2017. I think it's good that, you know, players can put their hand up and say, I'm struggling and uh, I'm not in a good place mentally. It's uh, a lot is happening in footy. Yeah, so we'll deal with all that between 6 and 9 o'clock. Your magnificent show, Behave Yourself, which is on again next Tuesday at 7.30. Mm. The ratings came through. The How did you go? Through. I was very happy, actually. We uh, rated second in our spot. Did you? Uh, eight That's good. Second to Shark Tank that uh, had a massive show, apparently, on Channel 10, beaten by a Channel 10 show. Woo-hoo! That can't be great. But, uh, <laughs> He's up. No, but it's good to see the club have a win. <laughs> like the Brisbane Lions. Everyone wants to see them do okay. Uh, but Shark Tank was giving away 2.5 million. So it was a massive episode for them. And it's a show that I quite enjoy too. Shark Tank were giving away 2.5 million. Yeah. yeah. So that's what... I wonder uh, we're in receivership. Crikey. Hold on, Shark Tank. How about 1.25? Maybe just 150 yeah. bucks possibly. Yeah. So Give we can all a couple continue of JB to get vouchers. paid. And make sure that Howie is getting his money. <laughs> no, to head we're down okay. the... Everything's all right at ten. Don't worry. Okay. Don't worry. Now, did you follow it in? Uh, did you follow behave yourself on? Um, I don't like to prick your social bubble, media? but did you fo- follow it on, on social Twitter? media? Well, I don't because I know exactly what's going to happen. It's a new show, first episode. I would say, having done you know the New Year's Eve coverage on the ABC, <laughs> uh, I would say you know uh, there would be a rush to hatred. Very early on. Would you like me to update yeah. you on a little bit of the give stuff me, that came across my the, So the show delicious tweets. The show started at nine PM. Nine PM. At nine PM Stephanie rolled out with the premise of hashtag behave yourself AU is terrible. Is it meant to be funny? Because I'm not laughing. Right. I, I don't agree with any of these viewers. No, no, but that's at nine PM. Well, that was at 9.10. So at 9.17, okay. Darren Sargent had seen 17 minutes, probably <laughs> right. including a three minute ad break. Darren yep. sounds like you might be a hanging judge. Yep. Hello? Yep. Just about the worst show ever seen on TV for Daz. 
And one ever, a, one ever ang- does. One angry Baron eyebrow. Sergeant, you munter. Well, one angry eyebrow provides some good advice. I hope the panellists are getting paid up front because this show is going to disappear quickly. Well, I reckon with ratings of 824,000 nationally, we will be back next Tuesday at 7.30, fingers crossed. And uh, to put your, your, your the, mind you to rest, to, one eyebrow. Do you want me to go on? No, thanks. That's plenty. Because... <laughs> Oh, listen, I saw it and I thought it was really sharp work and I thought you were entertaining and I think it's going to be a ratings hit and push on with it, Seven. And one eyebrow, and one eyebrow we have uh, been paid. The money is in the bank. Moon Man, I just thought I'd say that for Shark Tank, uh, there was uh, one contestant was offered $50,000 for Heyday Butter, a butter company. That's one of the investments. But the one that got the $2.5 million was a coffee capsule business. <laughs> Coffee capsule? Yeah. So, so means you don't have you to out. take your coffee, you just take a capsule. <laughs> well, no, I think it's the cap capsules that you put in a machine. Oh, okay. Didn't, didn't like George, your, didn't your George, Nespresso. Didn't, yes, yeah, exactly didn't George right. Clooney all in ready invent? Is that the voice of Tom, too? If you're not aware, Rosie's having a spell. Great to have you on board, Tom. Thank you, One half, the better half of the Tom and Ollie show, which is on three nights a week. Three nights a week, 7 to 10 p.m. Magnificent show, that. So yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Tom and Ollie. And uh, he's a bright young man, Tom. He was telling us that he's got a, what's the light you've got beside your bed to wake you up at night? <laughs> it's a smart like, light. Basically, he, he says a smart light, but I'm thinking one of those night lights. It's a bunny with a light in it. So if he gets up to go to the toilet, he doesn't get frightened. He's calling it a smart light. So what is your explanation, Tom? <laughs> basically, uh, it can cool in over 15-minute period so you can wake up with the melatonin being produced in your brain. Do you have a ruggy as well? Mm. A hot water bottle? I have been known to have a hot water bottle. Does mummy still tuck you in, Tommy, or (laughs) not? No. No. Moons, LFA or the AFL's diversity manager, Mm -hmm. had his tribunal hearing with the Northern Football League yesterday. He's been banned from playing or officiating in any future football matches. So he was given a 14-week ban for the incidents that have been played throughout every television coverage you've seen in the last couple of days. As a result of that, he's now passed the accumulated 16 matches of career bans. If you go past that... You're banned from footy in Victoria, AFL Victoria, which is a really, really good thing because you can't be running around doing that type of thing on a football field. He's been suspended in total for 21 matches. There was a lot of discussion about his employment at the AFL and Ali had this to say as he left the tribunal. On the basis of the seriousness of the charge and the tribunal's sanction, I'll be standing down from my position at the AFL. In this time... I'll seek professional help for my behaviour. I've played this game for 29 years. It has given me everything. I have loved working for the AFL and running programs that have reached out to communities far and wide. AFL is the greatest game, and I'm forever grateful for the role it has played in my life. So he's fallen on his sword, which... To be I honest, man, yeah, well, you thought that this would be the right way to go right yep. from the start of this incident. I think you're proven correct. I think once it came to light that it had happened more than one time, um, it was a very, very slippery slope at that stage. Which is uh, very sad for Ali Fayor because clearly, uh, having said he played the game for 29 years, he loved the game, obviously had a bit of white line fever uh, and had had multiple charges against him. Loses his job, and uh, so where to now? But there's an interesting thing in terms of the thuggery and the fact that it has been acted upon and there's a rule exists that if you have 16-week suspension, you're out of the game. And we heard listeners 
uh, speak to us on Monday saying, guy's got to go. It's, it's obscene uh, and fair enough. But is the AFL doing enough? There's a letter in the age today that mm. talks about the constant off ball bullying and harassment and physical hits that come before the game, that come after somebody kicks a goal or moreover misses a goal, that bumping, hitting stuff that has nothing to do with the game and nothing to do with the ball or the competition. Where do you stand on that off ball stuff, that constant harassment, that kind of physical edge to the game, which is essentially an entree. It's a, it's a, it's a gateway drug, if you will, to whacking someone. Well, we're talking two very different situations. We are so we're, not, we're not talking about what happened with Ali Fayol. Are you talking about pre-game or when the ball's up the other end, the bloke continually yeah. pushing you or standing on your toe or I think rightly or wrongly, it's part of the game. Right. Um, Cause, cause... And it, I think it's a valid part of the game. We're talking about two very separate things here. I, I, I look at it and I think we, we'll talk about Tom Boyd later on and we hope to get hold of Wayne Schwoss who does some unbelievable work in the mental health space, especially with athletes. And... He's highlighting this situation. So Alex Fasolo takes some time for the game. Travis Cloak takes some time for the game. It makes it more of a viable option for these guys that are struggling to take time from the game, a la Tom Boyd. So I only look at an incident like this involving Ali Fayor and hope now that every footballer around the country, now that it's been spotlighted, realises... I can't be doing this. I may have done this in the past. I may have been involved in a situation like this. Hopefully every coach gets out there and says, boys, have you seen this? We can't be involved in this type of situation. So hopefully it shines a light on that. Well, without mitigating or justifying what Thomas Bug did to Callum Mills or uh, the week before that, Basha Hooley, those guys were being scragged. We call it tagging. We call it part of the game. No, it's not. You can't tackle someone you shouldn't be able to really touch them unless they're within the ball. They were responding. Both of those men were responding to being grappled or bumped or scragged. Uh, and again, I'm not justifying what they did. But it's not part of the game. It is. I mean, it's part of the game, but it's not part of the rules. No, it's not part of the rules. But and, 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 you know, it's a physical intimidation that can end up having, you know, this kind of effect. Basically, and, what and is it saying effect. to suburban footballers? Well, I, I think the great point for suburban footballers here is there'll be footballers out there that have been belted. There'll be footballers out there that have done belting, especially mm. the latter group that'll think, finally realise, wow, this is not something I need to be bringing to the table when I play football. And blokes are just out there going yeah. to have fun and, you know, and, and I can cause damage and serious damage to people. And if you are out there having a swing or a bit of a punch on the weekend and you think it's okay, remember, everyone's got a phone. And you're going to be on the front page of the Herald Sun or the Age. You'll be played ad nauseum, shamed on TV and lose your job. So keep your hands to yourself and play the ball. That's it. I think you've summarised absolutely perfectly. Lawrence Mooney has departed the building from the Prime Minister of Australia. Mr Malcolm Turnbull joins me in the studio. Good morning to you, Prime Minister. Good morning to you, Hi. Can you try pronouncing my name again? Sorry, Malcolm. Toyn, Malcolm Turnbull. Turnbull. Sorry, Turnbull. Sorry, Prime Minister. Malcolm Bly Turnbull. Talking uh, about... Every, uh, every man in my family has, has the middle name Bly, stretching right back to Captain Bly. Did you know that? Really? Yes, Captain Bly was not only the captain on the, the bounty, but he was the governor of New South Wales, and every man in my family, full lineage, has the middle name Bly. Do you think you're likely to face a mutiny yourself, Prime Minister? Well, listen, I've got some rabscallion members of the crew that deserve a flogging <laughs> on the mainsail, but uh, I'm at the helm, and I'm going to continue with this maritime analogy, and I, I'm steering a steady ship to the horizon. 
at which point we drop off and disappear. Uh, Prime Minister, talking <laughs> it's a flat about... a earth joke talking at Corey about... Bernardi's expense. <laughs> yes, Prime Minister, I think you should leave the jokes to me. But uh, the ABC PM program yesterday, talking about some of the members of your crew, this is what you had to say when asked about the former Prime Minister, Tony Abbott. Finally, I want to ask you about Tony Abbott. He spoke at a Liberal branch <clears> meeting. <throat> Audio has been leaked to Fairfax. <clears throat> Mr Abbott described your budget as second best. And a party that has to do what's second best because the Senate made us do it is a party which needs some help. Is Tony Abbott being helpful? Well, I'm not going to comment on uh, on the uh, gentleman you described, uh, you d- referred to, but let me just say this about the budget. Proud of. Will Tony Abbott ever feature in a Turnbull cabinet? Look, again, I'm, I, I know your, your interest in the gentleman you described, but I'm not... You keep using uh, no, that phrase. Uh, well, you know, you well, no, 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 listen, you, look, please. Gentlemen well, look, well, you, you, this is your interest. My focus is on the 24 million Australians I'm elected to represent. Tony Abbott, I believe, is the name you were searching for, Prime Minister. Well, he was saying, you said former Prime Minister. I was thinking Julia Gillard, <laughs> Kevin Rudd. And I... I uh, as you know, uh, if you can read body language, Howie, when he said that name, that gentleman's name, mm. whom you refer to, yes, Tony I Abbott. cleared my throat <laughs> because that's exactly where it sticks, right in my throat. So, so who was the Prime Minister before you, Prime Minister? Well, let's go right back. Edmund Barton. <laughs> Prime Minister. Christian Watson. Alfred Deacon three times, second, fifth and seventh. But, but who Andrew did you follow Fisher, on from? Who did you follow Billy on from, Hugh. Prime Minister? <laughs> Sir Stanley Melbourne Bruce. The man that wears the budgie smugglers. I can't say his name and I won't. <laughs> Moon Man, as I just mentioned, I saw an article in the paper. It just screamed you. It screamed you entitled, We Can All Love a Sex Bot. Move over, blow up dolls. Sex robots are taking over. Artificial intelligence is entering the sex market, bringing with it a revolution, offering sexual gratification with a near human Touch. Well, this is uh, technology gone crazy, but uh, there's so many people listening very intently right now. <laughs> These automated robots, yes. apparently, have already led to the creation of highly developed love dolls Ooh. capable of performing 50 automated sex positions on their own. What am I what? doing wrong? 50? I thought there was two. <laughs> well, three at best. Certainly not 50. 50? To be a gymnast. <laughs> And then 50? it goes on to say, and this is this is where it gets dangerous for blokes, because blokes <laughs> okay. like to get something and then they like to soup it up. 50. It's like I've got a sex bot, but I'm going to put extractors on it and just big exhausts. <laughs> and it gets dangerous. These dolls sell for as much as 15 grand and can be customised down to the nipple shape and the hair colour, if you don't mind. So it's like... If you will, Ken and Barbie, you get you get your boots, you get your caravan, you get your you can you can add on. What do you want for Christmas? I want a new wig for me sex bot doll. Uh, but the danger for me, I I think, is you know when you get into technology, we've all had a computer go down on us. No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> we've all had we've all lost some data along the way. But when there's moving bits and pieces. You want to be sure the technology's okay, don't you? It's like, well, you, know, we, you don't want to ring the RACV roadside <laughs> assist. I'm trapped. 
in your car. No, not quite. <laughs> in my sex pot. Yeah, I'm, I'm trapped in my sex pot. You're going to come out and have to restart it because things have clamped down. <laughs> the, the things that concern me, electricity and fluid, never a good combination, I wouldn't No, that's right. Doll brothels already operate in South Korea, Japan and Spain. I don't believe that. While the first robotic oral sex coffee shop don't opened in Paddington. You can't say oral sex coffee shop well, at six forty-five. I'm not sure quite what that relates to. Like, do you go in for a well coffee? I, yeah, you sit down and you yeah. try and finish it. The coffee. <laughs> try and the finish coffee. your coffee without spraying it across the the cafe. I the guess the coffee. The coffee. Yeah, I'll have a long <laughs> macchiato. Listen, if these you. can do all they promise to do, fifteen grand. Is one of the great bargains in the history of technology, <laughs> and they'll only get cheaper. Do you know what though? There'll be a used bot lot too, and you go in. <laughs> oh, secondhand bot. This is uh, second. Oh. This was owned by you know an intellectual that only wanted to read and wanted companionship. Hasn't very left the low miles. Very low miles. Fifty different positions. I know. I need to do some research. I'm up to three. <laughs> This is a good news story. I've got a good news story well, for I you. Well, I see you uh, grinning and giggling over there, so you must have something you're going to bring. Listen, I'm known to police. I've helped them with their inquiries. And uh, <laughs> and what I want to tell you is that when the police show up at a party, mm. you know it's time to turn the music down and the show is over. I've even had that happen at my place. So no I'm doubt. You've got to turn it down. Otherwise, when we come back... We will arrest you. So uh, when cops in Asheville, North Carolina, responded to a complaint about a giant slip and slide, some of you may have seen this on the news last night. It's a good news story. Uh, the slip and slide had been set up for the, a 4th of July block party. Yeah. Uh, they were partying on the block down there in North Carolina. <laughs> Bring your own music to the table, That's Moon. That's right. Every news story deserves a little bit of a backing track. Uh, they decided, the cops, to take a ride themselves. Nice. Yep, that's right. Officer Carrie Lee said that we looked at the situation. Uh, as the complaint had said, the slip and slide made by one of the local dads was meant to be blocking the road. It wasn't, so we took a ride ourselves. Uh, there was a massive copper too, big unit, Joe <laughs> Jones. He decided to jump on an inner tube, take a slide with a local kid. And I think that that kind of thing is uh, it builds a bridge forever for people who have interactions with police. We know that our girls and boys in blue have a tough job to do. They are the thin blue line and they have to deal with some ordinary customers and some tough people. But when they reach out to ordinary folk and they see a situation and they take that discretionary act and they go, there's nothing wrong here. This is a bit of fun. Uh, it really does help the brand, I reckon. So we're asking you this morning, when have the cops turned up and joined in the fun? Uh, yeah, that's right. When have they got down onto the block party and... Become the fun police. Become the fun police. Joe Jones, the big uh, cop, got out of the raft. He goes, my butt's wet. One, two, three, five, three. <laughs> Give us a call now. When have the police done something nice? When have they provided some fun? When have they helped a situation? Brett from Clyde North. Good morning to you, Brett. How you going, guys? Good as gold. When have the police turned up and been fun police for you? Uh, yeah, we were down at uh, the Cows Pier down at Phillip Island and mm. like messing around there for a bit and the coppers came past and said that we had to like vacate the area. And uh, we noticed they had their radar guns for, um, for the cars in their, in their car and we, 
they let us uh, run past their cars while they were clocking to see how fast we could run past. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you what did you clock up, Brett? Oh, I can't remember. It was that long ago. <laughs> that nice. is fun. Nice. <laughs> Better to be shot by a radar gun than an actual. Yes, that's right. And what what would be the, the what's the average speed of our you know our main Hussein Bolt? What does he run at? Oh, you put me on the spot. He might get up to forty clicks an hour. Forty clicks. That's fun. Good on you, Brett. James from Berwick. Have you had uh, experience of the fun police? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. I was just at uh, just at a mate's joint in uh, Nanagoon. He's gone on a fair bit of property. We mm. had a bonfire going and a few beers. Um, I was just on the last six pack of my VB, <laughs> and the coppers rocked up and said, uh, "You know, oh, it's a bit noisy, and uh, you got to let the fire out. There's a bit too much smoke going on." And uh, he uh, looked at the time after we put the fire out, and he goes, "Oh." That's knockoff. Where's the beers? Cracks the beers. Damn, with me, we had a conversation while we had a VB together. That's nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So if you're compliant, you do the right thing. You know, police are human too. I need more of hanging out, having beers in paddocks in Nanagoon in my life. Do you know what? When he said we'd lit a fire, immediately I thought, when was the last time I lit a fire? Remember you'd have a bonfire in the back garden? Daddy'd go, you know, with a special dad'd go, get something out of the garage, an old tyre or a battery. Don't breathe that in. Sunday afternoon, burning stuff. We bought one of those outdoor wood burners a while ago and fired it up two nights ago, myself and the pickle and the big penguin and had the marshmallows. Fantastic. Lovely. Fantastic. Are you calling it a chimney or a... No, just an outdoor fire. Wood burner. Um, the big penguin... Got a little bit too close it, to it and got a bit singed around the eyebrows. Before but, I go to Richard from Hampton, yep. is it like the old tub on a washing machine? Is it one it's of those? It's that type of setup. Yeah, with holes through. It's a little bit fancier than that, but yes. It's Great, terrific. sit outside. I'm going to go and find myself one of those. That's what Mrs. Mooney's getting for her birthday. Oh, Happy birthday, Lulu. With the six-pack. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and the marshmallows. <laughs> We're asking you, when did the police become the fun police? Richard from Hampton, good morning. Good morning, fellas. Um, I just moved into a new house with a few housemates and we decided to have a housewarming party as you do and we decided we'd have a bit of a theme so we'd have a fancy dress party and it was mm. getting a bit loud and a bit late and, and, and as you do, and one of the neighbours had, had called the police and when they turned up, some of the, the guests, some of the pretty young girls thought they were actually ah. in fancy dress. That is good. And then the police just played along with it. Great. <laughs> I bet they did. And they were having a bit of a dance and, and a bit of a chat. And, and they did sort of just gently say, you know, turn turn the music down. And I think one of them went and actually turned the stereo down and said, guys, you know, we've got to go. But, um, you know, just if you could keep it quiet, that'd, that'd be good. They, they were just, just fantastic guys. So the role, did the role playing continue to people getting handcuffed and <laughs> interrogated? Uh, uh, no, there was too many cameras around. They, they wouldn't do that. But there was a lot of people sort of grabbing at things, and it just. But um, that, they were they were just really great, and and everyone just complied. The music was turned down, and it, and it just continued to be lovely a great stuff. Time. Good on you, Rich. A uh, a fancy dress party where the the real police turn up. I like it. Front page of the Herald Sun today: mm. Cops nab Jake and Ty. Police swoop on stars over extortion claims. Ty Vickery and Jake King involved in this story. Only one man when you need this type of explanation. The associate editor of the Herald Sun is on the line, Andrew Rule. G'day, Rule up. Uh, good morning, chaps. That would only be because Anthony Dowsley spent all day uh, pulling that story together and then probably went out celebrating last night and won't get out of bed. 
Yes, no, uh, we, we, so, we were informed of that fact. So we've come to you because you are yeah. a man that knows everything that happens in these sort of yeah, uh, well, parts of the world and parts of Melbourne. What's the story all about? Well, let's speak hypothetically, chaps, because th- this would be leading to um, court appearances and things. So yes, we're going to be so a bit cagey here. All alleged rules. Hypothetically. I think there's a lesson for uh, rookies here, and um, that is be careful who you knock around with and be very careful what you say on the phone. Because, you know, uh, footballers, uh, they're in a business where they, they attract a lot of friends, they attract a lot of uh, coat tuggers, they attract a lot of people who want to go into business with them, perhaps. And then, you know, they set up, hypothetically speaking, you might set up a business Hypothetically, the business, like about 70% of all small businesses, might struggle a bit. Mm. And, um, the cash flow mightn't be good. I'm just, this is a very general comment. Right? Mm. And then you might say, well, look, you know, I'd like to get my money back out of that business and the money's not forthcoming. And then you might get sad. And then you might get angry and you might talk to your mates about it. So you go through the five stages of grieving. You do. And normally one of those is an extortion. <laughs> I'd never use that word. This is a very general This is, this is a word that we're taking from the front page of the Herald Sun. Yes, but we're, we're, we're going to be very careful because uh, that's been lawyered to death and we haven't got a lawyer sitting on your shoulder or mine. Anyway... Uh, I'm good to the, go with this stuff, though. Uh, you, you Triple M are right behind me. So <laughs> oh, yeah. let, let me yeah, ask good. you this. Um, yeah. When you say you've got to be careful what you say over the phone, basically yeah. you can say what you want over the phone because no one's listening. So why would someone be listening to you? Well, this is the thing. You never know who might be listening to you if um, you've if you uh, are having heated conversations with people, and what if you've already had one heated conversation and next time you bring someone... They decide to tape uh, it. They decide to tape it. Now, this is a general observation. I'm not suggesting for one moment that's exactly what's happened because I don't know. But it makes sense, does it not, that if there is an ongoing argument that's escalating, things are said which may or may not be uh, meant... Um, and they might be in the heat of the moment or they might be really serious threats. I have no idea. But the people at the other end of it might get a little bit um, apprehensive and start taping things. Right. Um, and next thing, bing, bang, bong, you've got a, you've got a problem. According to the article itself, Ruler, King, that's Jake King, was last night charged with six offences, including extortion and making threats to kill and inflict serious injury. Yes, uh, that is a fact. And all I can say to that is uh, Mick Malloy once said he doesn't know what is the worst knock on Jack King's character. The fact that he hung around with Toby Mitchell, the um, the bikey, former bikey, you know, greyhound trainer's son, or with Daniel Jackson, the lily white Kerry boy. But I'm here to say that uh, Mick um, might have got that wrong and that Jake might have been better off hanging <laughs> hanging around with Jacko than with um, Toby Mitchell. Well, both of them are former Richmond players and uh, the message out of the club this year is that they are competing. So maybe everyone's taken that message on board. That they are competing. They are competing. What for? We're not too sure, Lula. But uh, I think that uh, that maybe has coloured in the picture a little bit for us. Well, I think so. I think... um, We've seen it before. Uh, both you blokes have known 
footballers, and we don't even have to name them, who have gone into businesses, into pubs, into restaurants, all sorts of funny things. Uh, financially, those things don't always turn out well. I can think of a, a great forward from Collingwood that I think was in pubs that uh, went belly up, and this has happened many, many times. Small and, business um, doesn't always turn out the way you wanted it to. Andrew Rule, I think that is... Uh you know, the the message here. We look forward to more details coming to light. Seb Ross from the St Kilda Footy Club joining us in about six minutes time, but we've just received a very nice handwritten card from the St Kilda Football Club. Indeed, uh, Saturday is Maddie's match and the St Kilda Football Club have sent us a card thanking us for supporting Maddie Rewalt's vision. Uh, two purple scarves as well because they wanted to turn Etihad Stadium into a sea of purple in support of people with bone marrow failure syndromes. The card reads, in part, a percentage of the proceeds from these scarves goes directly to Maddie Rewalt's vision and can be bought at the game against 3, 5 and 7. Thank you so much for supporting Maddie's match. Signed, the St Kilda Football Club. The whole club's behind us. Lovely personal touch. Maddie's match, Richmond versus St Kilda, this Saturday night at Etihad Stadium. You can get yourself involved. Visit www.mrv.org.au. On the line from the St Kilda Football Club, stoked to speak to this young man, Seb Ross. G'day, Seb. Good morning, guys. I was enjoying watching you boys on the news last night before we get into the game. The entire squad was there, and Rue obviously had to change his shirt in front of the cameras to put the Maddie's Match jumper on, and he was getting a fair bit of stick from the footballers as he removed his shirt in front of the camera, Seb. Yeah, was he? Well, well, Rue's been spending a fair bit of time in the gym these days. Um, mm. I think I think because he heads over to um, Texas every off-season, he likes to get the body in good nick when he goes over there and impresses family. Not for playing football, but for impressing <laughs> yeah. your family. I like that. Hey, a wonderful occasion. It's been going for a couple of years. Uh, now, Seb, you actually got the Ian Stewart medal for best on ground last time when the Saints beat the Tigers, but it's a wonderful occasion for the football club and a wonderful chance to raise money and awareness for Matty Rewalt's vision. Yeah, that's right. Obviously, um, it's a huge game uh, between Richmond and Aspos in fourth and eighth on the ladder, but more importantly, a uh, huge game for um, Obviously, Matty Rewald's vision and the Rewald family. Um, the, fir- the first time we did it a couple of years ago, it was a huge success. So, um, and being being against Richmond, um, they pull a huge crowd. So we're just hoping we can um, the crowd uh, we see see a purple this weekend and all the fans get along. Yeah, and we're encouraging people to get along and turn Etihad Stadium into a sea of purple. You can actually buy a Maddie's membership for 50 bucks, Howie. Mm. You can get uh, two tickets to level one reserved seating, a Maddie's Vision pin, shoelaces along with a membership core pack, and most importantly, your membership will automatically include a $5 donation to Maddie's Vision. Saints going very nice this, Seb. You're in the eight now. You're only a game off top four. Eight wins, six losses. Things have been pretty good the last few weeks. Yeah, it's, it's it's a bloody tight competition this year. Yeah. Um, we we lost three in a row, and then and now we're on a sort of winning streak of three in a row, and, and looking to continue that on um, this weekend. But um, obviously, Richmond have been in really hot form. I think most of their losses this year have mm. only been under ten points, so those guys could easily be on top of the ladder. So. Um, yeah, we're looking forward to this week. It's an impressive forward line, Seb, when you look at it, when you're running through the middle of the ground and you've got Rue up there or whether he's on a wing and you've got Timmy Membry down there and Joshy Bruce and McCartan in and out of the side. You've got some firepower. You're a good team to watch. Yeah, and, they, and those guys, guys are coming along nicely. Um, they'll, they'll build more chemistry together the more games they play. Um, Rui always draws a, a, good, a great opponent, so it sort of can free out the other guys a bit. But... Um, the thing I've been probably more impressed with is the development of um, Jackie Billings and Jade Gresham. Um, those 
those two were both um, terrific on the weekend. Um, JB's probably been, he's been building for a while. He's been in some terrific form over the last couple of weeks. So it's good to see those guys um, hitting the scoreboard. Well, with a uh, rewild at either end of the ground, we hope it's a terrific shootout for Maddie's match on Saturday. So get out there, folks, and uh, enjoy the footy and get behind a great cause. Good on you, Seb. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. I've come to know you, Howie, uh, the boy from Barwon Heads mm. via tyres in Gippsland. <laughs> yes. you've, you've come to the big smoke, mm. wet behind the ears, mm. all excited. Mm. And last night you were off to Nobu. I was. Ooh, upmarket, or as you call it, Nobu. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I might not be as sophisticated as you. I stayed so at... Uh... How was dinner at, in inverted commas, <laughs> Nobu? It was delicious, thank you. I stayed at Metropole, the beautiful Mrs. Howie, last night. We went out with the great man Craig Kelly and his beautiful wife, Moo. The best thing about Nobu, or Nobu, was Ned paid for it, which made it a very good start. However... It's a nice dinner. I, uh, I'm more your chicken parma, chicken Caesar, and they mm. don't have that on the menu at Nobu. Um, but i tell you what I did have. No nuggets? No, 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 no nuggets. What about, can, you, can I get some gravy on these chips? I had, oh, so i sorry. tell you what I did have. I had the Wagyu gyoza with goma ponzu, all yeah. six pieces. Very nice. I still nice. don't know what ponzu is, but it was tasty. Oh, it's a bit of stuff on the side that you dip your uh, gyoza into. I also had the Yasai doko pork belly with the mustard su miso. Again, I had the six pieces. Miso, I reckon. Yeah. Oh, what did I say? It's not <laughs> miso. Right, sorry. <laughs> bloody... Excuse me, love. Can I have some miso over here? <laughs> well, that's exactly well. The miso. See, so you take making... the boy out of tires, but you can't take tires out. You're making me feel rather unsophisticated, as you did yesterday oh, yeah. when you are. when we revisited this very discussion. Tell yeah. me where you're going out to dinner. Young Howie, oh, young little wit behind the ears, Howie. I'm going from to... Barwon Bloody Downs. I'm going to Nobu tonight. Nobu, yes, I, I have taught you how to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> yes. What? How did Me. you? Where did you say you were going to dinner before? I said I was going to Nobu. No, you didn't. Come on, come on, be honest with the people. Okay, I'm a chicken parmigiana man. I thought I was going to Nobu. Nobu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You thought you'd get off to Nobu. <laughs> So, Mr. Intellectual, I went and mm. saw my Japanese brothers in the kitchen and said, Konnichiwa, as you do, Marcus-san, yeah. and we had a bit of a discussion with my Very year good. seven Japanese. Um, Doko ekimasu, Nihon ekimasu, where are oh. you going? I'm going to Japan, which didn't really oh, fit oh, in oh. with the whole equation in the kitchen. Ichinisan. See, she go roku nanahachi kyuju. There you go. So, I'm chatting with my Japanese brothers, and they are telling me it's called Nobu. Oh, Really? I, 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 first of all, I don't believe you. I think you're trying to big yourself up here. They were telling me it was called, actually, we've got a caller on the line. Annabelle is on the line now. Hello, Annabelle. Hi, how are you going? Oh, uh, you're calling in. <laughs> uh, do you know anything about what the name of the restaurant is? Yes, um, Moon Man, I do love you. However, I mm. did Japanese in high school and anything with N-O is no, not no. Aussie so, Bogans uh, say no boo. Aussie no oh. bogans say Nobu. So what do the more intellectual, sophisticated, educated type go with, Annabelle? Uh, Nobu. Uh, yes. Yeah, okay, Annabelle, yes. can you give us... Yes. Nobu is wrong. You should put a K before it. Can, <laughs> can you give us a Japanese pronunciation of the restaurant N-O-B-U? Yeah, Nobu. And also, while I'm at it, you said miso. You're teasing that. It's miso. Miso. Which is what I think I went with. No, you said exactly miso. Right. 
<laughs> like Enrico Misso that used to play for Collingwood. Annabelle, thank you for enlightening the people that it's in fact I'm the, the sophisticated one. And Mr. Hoity Toity, sire five syllable word man over there is not can't, as intelligent as you thought. Can't you put a little bit of uh, Japanese pronunciation on it? Like, noble. <laughs> Thank you, Annabelle, for proving me quite correct. Thanks, Annabelle. So I enjoyed my dinner experience at Nobu. Nobu. And for all you Aussie bogans out there that call it Nobu, you need to change your tune. Yep. So off to Nobu. Correct. <laughs> With your Nobu mates. Not Nob you. <laughs> Winter Nobu. breakfast. Thank you, Annabelle. Massive game of Friday Night Football this week on Triple M Moon Man. The Adelaide Crows take on the Western Bulldogs at the magnificent Adelaide Oval, a man that will be there front and centre. Joins us now, Josh Jenkins from the Adelaide Crows. Good day, Joshy. Good morning, guys. How are we? Wonderful to speak to you. How good is the AFL season? Every game we turn up to, Josh, you're not sure what the result is going to be. Huge game for the Crows this Friday night. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Dogs will be pretty keen to come over here and, and uh, not, not, not save their season, but they'll want to uh, really stamp their flag back in the ground and, and uh, attack us tomorrow night. So can't wait for that one because we all like to play on Friday night. We see some interesting injuries in football. Normally it's your hamstrings or your quad or your glute. Your man, Tommy Lynch, our best goes to him, <laughs> reported as coming down with viral meningitis. How is he? Uh, yeah, he's all right. Uh, went in and saw him uh, in ICU actually last week, which yeah. is a, which is a, which, you know, it's quite serious, when, especially when you see a teammate who only played footy with you seven days uh, previous laying there, but he, he's not too bad. He's just lost a fair bit of weight and, uh, and has certainly lost a, a fair bit of conditioning. So it's going to take him some time to build back up. He's he's out of hospital. He's getting around. He's driving and stuff. But, um, yeah, it certainly knocked him around and a bit of a fright for us all. Yeah, uh, The Crows have had uh, some massive wins this year, Joshy, and uh, you've been top of the table. Then all of a sudden there was a bit of a wobble, lost to the Cats, then lost to Hawthorne, and last week in a close one just got up over the Blues. Uh, how is the form and what, what's the, the, the mental state of the team at the moment? Yeah, we're not too bad. We we certainly we we come roaring out of the gates, and we were people were proclaiming that we were not not going to get beaten all year, and those sorts of things are a little bit ridiculous. You know, you, you have your ups and downs throughout a season. Um, you know how you alluded to it; it's so even. Uh, you know, you've only got to be one or two percent off your best or off off your game, and you get beaten, and that's what happened. And, um, we were probably 50% off down in Tassie because North kicked ten goals to zero against us in the first quarter. So. You know, that, those things are going to happen throughout a season, but uh, we haven't been playing our very best football in the past month, but we've been able to win a couple of those games. So uh, tomorrow night's a, a pretty good opportunity to bounce back to our very best football. We're speaking to Joshy Jenkins from the Adelaide Crows. Uh, Josh, Tom Boyd is going to have a spell from the game while he deals with clinical depression. We've seen it a couple of times this year, Alex Fasolo and Travis Cloak, and it's great that these boys, when they're not feeling right within themselves, that can come out and say, I need a spell from the game. Uh, Luke Beveridge, the coach of the Western Bulldogs, made some comments about it in the press conference yesterday. I know you deal in the media space a bit. You write some wonderful articles on ESPN, so I'd just be interested to get your comments on these thoughts. Well, I'm inquisitive as to the conscience of, of people at times and, and you in the room at times you know is there an empathetic bone um, what are your ethics um, do you care about the individual um, and that's why it's quite hard to take at times when when there's articles written comments made about players and even coaches where there's no concern at all for their for their welfare so I think that that's had a profound effect on on lots of players do we need to think more about what we write and say, Josh? 
Oh, perhaps look, you know, a throwaway a throwaway line to you or I mightn't be, you know, perceived as that for the person on the receiving end. But uh, I think the clubs have a huge responsibility as well. You know, the, the media's job is to report what they what they see. I don't think people go out of their way to make people feel bad or um, to to denigrate them. But I think as football clubs as well, they they have a they have an even bigger responsibility for their for their staff and. That's players included. You know, they need to look after those guys. And I know at our club I've had many a chat um, on this topic because, you know, it's something I feel um, players are struggling more and more with all types of pressures associated with the game. And we've seen um, already too many guys, you know, feel the need to step away from the game. So it's a shame. Um, but, you know, uh, certainly the media plays a small role, but I think the clubs play the biggest part. Not just players, too. Uh, when we look at the concerted campaign, <clears throat> pardon me, to bring down James Hurd, where the media fronted up to his front door every day for 2013. Every day. And we saw, you know, uh, this year that that had a near devastating effect. I mean, the man nearly lost his life. But there was no holds barred. There's no rules of engagement, really, is there? And should there be? Mm, it's a, I'm not too, you know, that's an extreme case. And perhaps, you know, there's certainly a need to, to get to be first on the ground with those that sort of a story. But, um, you know, coaches and, and, and when, whilst you're in the AFL space, um, it, it's just all consuming. And, and there comes a point, and we've seen it with Tommy Boyd, and, you know, hopefully he gets back to full health soon and playing footy soon. Mm. But, um, it, it, it just gets to a tipping point, and that's that's the thing. We need to have a really good play. This is coaches, even more so included, that we need to have a better life, work-life balance because we're seeing guys um, invest way too much in footy and, and they're starting to struggle because when things don't go your way, you know, the natural thing is to, is to feel really down. Well, your, your playing squad would feel this as much as anyone, Josh. Obviously, you're in a two-team town in Adelaide, fanatical about footy. You would have seen teammates going through this when they're on the front page and the back page. It must be a difficult thing to go through for any athlete or any person, I guess, in public life when they get stuck on the front page and describe their every move in detail and often criticised in even more detail. Yeah, certainly. And, and unfortunately, and I don't blame um, journalists or the media because it's just the way it is. You know, bad news stories sell far more than good news stories. So that's just the way it is. And unfortunately, the people being written about are the ones that, that have to suffer at times. Um, you know, it's it's often, you know, in footy club or in any work workplace, it's often the guys that you don't, the people that are on the front of the paper, you understand and you go and see them and you have a chat to them and you talk about um, how they feel and, and how they're dealing with it. But it's often the guys who sort of go under the radar and, and, you know, Tommy Boyd's kind of like that. We've spoken about him a lot, but, um, you know, grand final hero only, what, six months ago. And yeah. um, now he feels like he can't play the game. So it can happen quite quickly and sometimes it can catch us unawares. Joshy, before we let you go, I alluded to your magnificent articles on the ESPN website, which I really do enjoy. Just read the most recent one, talking about medallions and grand final day. Expand mm. on your thoughts on that and explain it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I just thought, you know, huge American um, sports fan, and it happens over there, probably probably to the extreme case. But, um, you know, I just feel like guys that have contributed a lot to a football season, a premiership season, uh, are basically rewarded with nothing. And, and I saw Matt Suckling, who does have a couple of premierships already, so um, he, he, you know, he shouldn't be uh, he shouldn't be too concerned with this. But I just feel like, you know, he contributed so much and to the Bulldogs season last year on field. He played a lot of games, but, you know, just happened to miss the grand final and grand final day. And he's not considered one of the Bulldogs premiership players. So 
I just think there should be some sort of memento. It doesn't have to be an exact rep- replica of what the guys get on, on game day, but I think everyone should be rewarded for their efforts in, in a premiership season because it's far more than the 22 players and the coach that make it happen. It's a good point you make, Joshy. We appreciate your time as always, brother, and your thoughts. Best of luck against the Doggies at this Friday night at the Magnificent Adelaide Oval. Could good to chat. Thanks, game. guys. Moon Man, I love a book. I like to read, and this one I'm already halfway through. Inside the Secret World of Our Special Operations Group, Sons of God, written by a man well known to us here in this studio, Heath O'Loughlin, who joins us. Good day, Heath. How are you? How are you? Great to see you, mate. Just give us a snapshot of what this book's about because it is fascinating for those that need to get stuck into it. So, my dad was in the Special Operations Group for 18 years, um, and through that relationship uh, that he has with the men in there and past and present, um, I was able to open a few doors that have never been opened before. And, um, there's been a code of silence with the special operations group for the best part of 40 years. And, um, and sort of just been able to pull back the curtain a little bit with some firsthand accounts of some of the most amazing stories you, you'd think, you know, existed really in Victoria. The, t- the title of the book, Sons of God, shares the uh, acronym of the SOGI, Special Operations Group. Now, why Sons of God? So Mick Miller was the uh, chief commissioner um, who brought the Special Operations Group in. He was known as God because he had that much right. respect back in 1977. So they, they dubbed the... The, the place, uh, the Special Operations Group, so SOG, mm. but also um, Mick Miller was a, a religious man. And Matthew 5, 9, uh, the proverb says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. So as a combination mm. of things, it's the sons of God as in the sons of Mick Miller, but also SOG, Special Operations Group and sons of God. And Mick Miller, one of our most famous chief commissioners who famously defused a hostage situation in a primary school, went in unarmed and negotiated with a gunman. Wow. Um, uh, so obviously he had grace about him, that man. Oh, he, and he's still one of the most revered figures in, in Victoria mm. police. Like the, the people just speak so glowingly of him. And, um, I actually had him sign several books for some of the SOG guys that helped me with this book and they, their jaws dropped when they saw his autograph on, in the book. So, so for the uninitiated Heath, when do the SOG get involved in a crime situation? There's a few levels now, um, Back when it started, it was sort of when the uniform police couldn't quite get the job done just because it went beyond their scope of capabilities and abilities. Um, obviously, uniform police have a whole heap of things they need to do, but sometimes when it gets elevated to a really dangerous situation, um, we need to have that sort of last resort, and that's what the SOG is. Um, there are a couple of other uh, units below the SOG, the port and the cert, but when things get really, really dire, like the Brighton siege situation... Um, yep. of, month or so ago that's when it gets elevated and the and the sog or the men in black come in which uh the uniform police love when they see the sog come in not so much the uh, offenders or the criminals right because it's about to reach a conclusion and a culmination uh this is quite a hefty book around about 300 pages but true crime is just going off at the moment is just flying off the shelves yeah well i only just found out yesterday so this book came out last tuesday and uh the publisher just uh told me uh yesterday that it's gone to a reprint oh. already so i'm uh, yeah well, i'm really grateful for all the support and um and you guys well, as well so the, the, and your great. your your dad was involved in this so as a young bloke growing up did you have any idea what he was doing when he was going to work Obviously, the older I got, I got a better understanding of what he was doing, but I would always ask him um, when he got home from work, because I was so intrigued, oh, what did you do today? Um, and probably a protective measure on his part, he would always say to me, oh, just paperwork, mate. 
Right. And then I'd be, you know, the shoulders right. would slump and I got nothing out of him. And so sitting down and doing this book with my dad was a great experience. And, and even my mum reading it, um, she's learned a lot about what dad did as well because he just couldn't tell us. Um, they weren't allowed to. Okay. Let's play cops and robbers now. Uh, this is the fun part because these guys are armed, they're dangerous and they bring down crooks. I love a book with a glossary. <laughs> yeah. I'll throw a few at you, Heath, if you could just uh, tell the folk what is meant by a double tap. A double tap would be two shots to the uh, right between the eyes with a with a gun in quick succession. In quick succession, and you are out of the game. Just making sure the job's done. Yep. Double tap. Okay. A nine banger. A nine banger is like a stun grenade. So one of those ones that they throw in that doesn't actually throw shrapnel out, but mm. just lots of flash and bang. Um, but it goes off nine times in succession. Correct. And a, a ghillie suit. A ghillie suit is like a camouflage suit that a sniper would wear when they're in the bush. So uh, oh, the sniper Sierra that went down to Port Arthur, um, he wore a ghillie suit to camouflage himself and was copying bullets going past his head when Martin Bryant was firing out of the seascapes cottages. Gee. The book is wow. called Sons of God. You're listening to Heath O'Loughlin. The author Barry's on the line from Laylor. Good day, Baz. Good morning. How are you? Good. Have you read the book? Um, I've started it. I just, um, yeah, it's fantastic. It is. Um, I'm probably in the second chapter already and it's, um, no, it's a really, uh, fantastic book full of, uh, knowledge and that about the SOG. Yeah. Good on you, Baz. Nice to hear your thoughts on it all. I, uh, I love this stuff. Um, especially, you know, the boy's own nature of it and the true crime, uh, level of it too. We were talking before about the SOG going down to Port Arthur when, uh, that was kicking off down there 21 years 21 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, but there's a, another excerpt from this book that uh, I was just looking at, Heath, where they raid a neo-Nazi stronghold in one turner. Do you want to run us through just a little bit of the action there? Yeah. Because so these guys are walking into the line of fire. That's right. They know what they're getting into. They know that the guys that they're going to potentially arrest are armed. So in this particular story that you're talking about, we have Viper who busts the door down, breaks the lighting system on his uh, shotgun when he goes in, which is unfortunate because we're talking about nighttime here, pitch black. So he's going in to get a guy by the name of Tommy Messenger who was training with um, some colleagues, neo-Nazi colleagues, to take the SOG down. So they got the jump on them, smashes through the door, his lighting system breaks, he turns right down the hallway to go into the first bedroom and the first thing he sees is these orange sparks. At the time he didn't know it, but he been shot twice. Um, so he pivots yeah. down the hallway as the offender, Tommy Messenger, grabs an M1 rifle, which is a hugely high-powered gun, and starts tracking through the wall of the bedroom down the hallway trying to find the target. So the SOG guy sort of is running backwards down the hallway, backpedaling as these shots are impacting in front of him through the walls. And I'll just quote from the book here. One round narrowly missed my head and passed through a plaster wall, wooden frame, brick wall, back fence, and ended up lodging in the side of a boat that was sitting in a neighbor's yard. That's how high powered an M1 is. And uh, then a second SOG operative came in and took Tommy Messenger out with a shot to the head. Yeah, and the thing there Woo! is um, the, that first uh, couple of shots that impacted Viper's uh, bulletproof vest, if Tommy Messenger had picked up that M1 first, uh, Viper would have been no more. Can I ask you this? This is obviously a labour of love because your dad was a long-serving member of the SOG. Uh, how 
how, as a teenager, do you rebel against a heavily armed <laughs> expert in taking down criminals and counter-terrorism? There's, there's a really simple answer to that. Uh, you don't. <laughs> the book is called Sons of God. Have Heath you ever Lachlan been drunk or had a cigarette? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Very straight man, is Heath. Sons of God, go and buy it now. Uh, Heath, as well as being an author and you wrote the magnificent autobiography with Boomer Harvey last year, for the last eight years you become... Uh, the general manager of media communications and marketing at the North Melbourne Football Club, always seen as being one of the first media managers to be really progressive and open the doors of the footy club, and you and the footy club need to be congratulated on that. There seems to be a real disconnect at the moment, mate, more so than ever between media and football clubs. How do you see it as the man in the middle? Because you're the one that are getting the request. You see both sides of the story. Where are we at in the disconnect between the two groups? I actually don't know if the disconnect's as big as what it's being painted to be. Right. Um, I think that the media relationship with the clubs is generally quite good. Um, there, you have instances along the way where there might be a little bit of trust that gets broken down, but overarching, I think it's great. And I think clubs are always looking to do more. And we saw Ryan Larkin at Melbourne put Tommy Bug up after mm. the incident yep. on the weekend. Um, Collingwood are fantastic, even though Buck sort of was um, talking out about the doorstop. Collingwood um, and through Stephen Riley there, they're fantastic. Their players stop pretty much every time there's media out the front of their establishment and stop and talk. And that's what we tell our players to do too. Just be respectful. There are times where players... They, they actually feel sick about talking to the media. Like they don't like doing it. It's like um, for the general public out there, it's like public speaking. Um, it can be really, really intimidating when you have a lot of cameras in your face. So, um, you know, we try and, you know, train our players up as much as we can to get used to it and have cameras around as much as possible through open media and all those sorts of things. But it's a bit of a um, double-edged sword there. Some players don't like doing it. Others do like doing it. And then, um, yeah, they're just finding that balance in between, I reckon, Howie. I was at a luncheon with Dustin Fletcher a couple of weeks ago, and he said at the height of the supplement scandal, he would turn up to training, and if the press cordon was too big or he wasn't feeling in the mood, he would go home and just call in and say, I can't train, as did some other senior players. What's the tipping point for the media department? When do you say to the media or your players, enough's enough, we're going to shut it down? Well, yeah, you've just got to take, it's horses for courses. You've got to take each uh, incident as it, as it comes. But I mean, again, if the, we just tell our players to be really respectful. And, and I think the media understand too. If a player says, hi guys, how are you this morning? Um, look, I'd prefer not to speak if that's okay. Thanks very much. And keeps walking. I think the media are generally really respectful. I mean, a cameraman might, you know, run a couple of meters ahead to get the shot, yep. but that's okay. We, we all understand that it's a business. Um, and, you know, obviously with the media rights deal, you know, football um, has a lot to owe the media and the media has a lot to owe football. And again, it's just finding that balance. And you you and have opened it's... the door at the Kangaroos. You've gone down the American path at times, opening up and saying, right, midday today, you can speak to any of the 40 odd players on the Kangaroos list. That's right. Well, yeah, this week we actually had planned a session for 46 players to be available and that was just going to be a free for all. So any media could come down and just go up and talk to a player. Um, there's, there's a bit of risk involved in that as well because you kind of lose a little bit of control. Um, and as clubs, obviously, you need to stay on message as much as possible. Yep. You know, some players who aren't experienced in media might accidentally say something wrong. They might give a little <laughs> bit of a game plan away. So then I've got right. to answer to Brad Scott or, you know, the footy department. But, you know, in general, it's pretty good. Has it's a coach ever given you a serious cook, Heathy? Nah, Brad's good. And uh, what about what about footy trips? 
There's a, do you do you have to stay he up? He loves it. Do you have to stay up? Do you go on the footy trip, or do you have to stay up for seventy-two he takes hours? The, he takes the, the sons of God days. with him, and the early, kangaroos boys stay right online. Early on, I got invited, Lawrence, and I just said, "No, I'm not going to that." Right. It's a magnificent book. It's called Sons of it's God. Terrific. It takes you inside the secret world of the Special Operations oh. Group, mate. Congratulations, and to all those men and women that are involved out there that do this type of job, we thank them as Victorians Absolutely because it is a very difficult task, as you pointed out. Thank you so much. Buy James. the book. Your beautiful wife birthday today. You still haven't got the present. I have got plans afoot. You still haven't got the present. No, I have. Well, my love is a gift in itself. Happy birthday, Lulu. Uh, 36 today. Did did you sort of allude to in the break that you were thinking about visiting her workplace? Hang on. Don't ruin the surprise. And doing a bit of stand-up work (laughs) to entertain and let them know the the, the present is, listen, this is who I'm married to. If you were at a charity auction and the moon man's going to turn up to your workplace, I mean, what are we getting here? $1,500 going on $100 a time, $2,000. I mean, a tight 15 in your workplace from the moon man. I don't think it's an appropriate present. I'll tell you what, I'm going to roast her. It's like me saying to Mrs. Howie, let's watch uh, sit down and watch the cricket with the sound down for your birthday and I'll commentate it for you. You don't. I don't okay. think that's a present. I, what I see here is a man with low self-esteem <laughs> underestimating his own appeal. That's what I see. Well, you, that is a beautiful present. I'm Mrs. Howie, sure. what's your favourite movie? And I'll give you a director's commentary. You know, you've got Howie in your lounge room. I mean, you know, pants off, sound out. <laughs> That's a that's a dream present for me. I reckon me. it's a real crap present. Uh, dangerous. Uh, what well, do you guys, think? Is that a decent present? Or not is it a bad. No. Did you say your wife's 36? That's it. Wow. Yes, well, if a, your wife is 36, you need a, to be getting her a real good present. There's a 16-year age difference. Wow. Yeah, there what you go. What was the genesis of the meeting? How did you get together? What's the, what's the backstory, Moon Man? Oh, well, you're alluding to the fact that I drugged her in a... <laughs> What are you? What are you? No, I'm just attacking the sanctity of my marriage live on air. No, I, I see the agenda it's, here, it's Dangerous a, Dave. A, it's quite. A, that's it's a disgrace. Quite, it's just quite a, a gap, oh, which what's is great. The I genesis think, by of the meeting. Wow, well, you know, what, you, yeah. was it at a comedy show? Well, he was or? picking her up from school. That's <laughs> <laughs> the first point. I think is where we're at here, Dave. Rebecca Madden joining us on the show tomorrow, as well as Brian Taylor. I think you need to go and get some presents, Sharpish boy. I tell you what. Uh, Tune in to see the front bar tonight. I'm sitting in for Mick Malloy, 8.30 on Channel 7. Keep an eye out for that. Winter Breakfast, we'll be back tomorrow from 6 on Triple M.